You're listening to the Topco Business Unusual Podcast. Now, the Business Unusual Podcast. Learn from the greatest minds in business today. Interviews hosted by Ralph Fletcher. Learn how to improve business, get tips from industry leaders, and be motivated by real-life experience. Topco. Business Unusual. Welcome to Topco's Business Unusual podcast. Today I'm joined by uh, Trevor Gosling, the CEO of Lululand. Lululand. They lent me money. Um, we, we, I was joking earlier that um, it felt like robbing a bank. Filled in a form within three minutes online and I got a, a big amount of money after one phone call. It was amazing. How, how are you finding things uh, post-COVID, Trevor? Um, yeah, I suppose cool. we're, we're not completely post-COVID. We're not post. We, uh, <laughs> we still got a bit of a, a road ahead of us. But um, yeah, if I, if I think back to where we were this time last year, uh, we're in a far, far better place. It was sort of this impending doom that was um, looming over us. And pretty much from pretty much this time last year, you know, mid-March till uh, July, August, we, we really saw the, the biggest pain uh, on the SME economy. And um, obviously that affected our business that we, we're lending into. But yeah, from September last year, things really started picking up. And yeah, we've had a, had a really good start to, to this year. So all good. So, I mean, for those people who don't know Lululand, um, so I'm one of your customers, so I know what you do partly. But I mean, what, what would you, how would you define what you do or your sort of purpose or vision for Lululand? Yeah, in a nutshell, we provide quick, easy capital to, uh, to SMEs. So going a bit deep into that, we've developed the technology to be able to assess underwrite businesses in real time, um, give them an answer really quickly, uh, really with the focus of us understanding who SMEs are and what, what they need to be able to be successful. You know, SMEs are not big corporates or big businesses with, um, with sizable finance teams. It's, it's generally uh, either, you know, a one-man show or, or say a 50, 60, 70-man show, but, but still uh, the business owner themselves is very much operationally involved in the business and and that's what they love doing and that's their passion. So a lot of people don't get into business because they, they want to raise capital and all those sorts of things. So we just want to make their lives uh, a bit easier so that they can concentrate on what they enjoy and what they love. And uh, we're just solving that cash flow solution uh, problem. for them. Yeah, I think there's some advice that I was always taught. It's always ask for money when you don't need it. And um, so our, our story was that I... We actually had enough money at the time, done always. Um, and um, I saw an ad, I think it was on Facebook. So I told my wife who does our financials, why don't you apply? And she, I think she said it took three minutes. And then someone phoned me about an hour later. And I think the next day you said the money would be in your account. And it was, and it was quite a big amount of money. And so it kind of felt like robbing the bank with, without a gun. <laughs> uh, as you mentioned, we paid it back, but yeah, but it, it, <laughs> yeah. But it was an yeah, we, awesome sort of experience. We both won out of it. And I suppose that's the big thing, you know, it's uh, even if business owners don't need the cash flow, they just want to have 
know that in you know in case they do in case of emergency there's that security that's always sitting there and that's that's what we're trying to solve for so that business owners can sleep at night knowing that you know hopefully they don't have to tap into to funds but you know things happen um customers don't pay you uh payroll comes up all those sorts of things and you have to be you know ultimately you're the business owner you're going to be able you take the responsibility you're going to be able to uh, make sure that you you have the cash flow necessary to to um, to fund all those transactions, and we just want to be there to to support businesses through it. So, I mean, it's quite an interesting story. I mean, what you do and how you do it, and I mean, what what was the sort of challenges and what did you learn from COVID? Because obviously, what you were doing, and obviously, our loan came before COVID. But what, what, how did it change? How did how did your business model change? What did, you know? I'd imagine you didn't sleep for a couple of nights like the rest of us trying to change things? What, what was the things you needed to change? I mean, was it the risk now of suddenly worrying about businesses? For us, it was like, we don't know what our future is going to be or our turnover. So how do you judge if you're going to lend us money based on old data? Yeah. No, it was incredibly difficult through that time in just figuring out. And we, and we were at the coalface and seeing so many SMEs and so many different industries because we, we fund to all types of industries and seeing the stresses and pains of all of them. And then you see a, a couple, you know, e-commerce and, and those who were selling uh, PPE equipment and that sort of thing, that they were like doing all right and, and uh, they were easy to fund because you know that they were going to be okay. But, you know, hospitality and, and uh, other areas, events, as you well know, um, you know, don't know what the, what, what the future's like. And still it's, it's, a, it's a little bit gray in, in those pockets. But at that time... Really, what our focus was was, you know, how do we come together as a business and focus on our customers? So these are the ones we've already funded. We want to support them and make sure they get through this. So, really, new business. Uh, and and pr- prior to COVID, we were on this new business trajectory, and we were we were scaling up, and things were so things were we. looking amazing. Yeah, uh, as, as as many businesses uh, were in that position, and now all of a sudden we had to put this handbrake on, and really focus on the customers that we had already funded and supported and make sure they get through this successfully. And that was probably the, the largest focused area for us. You know, how do we make sure our businesses, um, they have the necessary cash flow to see through this time. And then as, as things developed and clarity came and restrictions were lifted and we knew sort of what decisions government was making, we were able to adapt our modeling to make sure that uh, we, we took into account the nuances that, that were unfolding and making sure we were understanding them correctly, underwriting them correctly, and then we could start scaling up the, the, the funding of businesses more and more from there. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, but I went through a couple of recessions, the 2008-99, and so for me, it's always been at the back of my mind. It was There's a very painful situations, and I made sure I sort of kept myself up to date what the best companies did in the 2008 recession and even 20, 20, you know, 1999. But, but, I mean, what sort of informed your getting together and how did you do it? I mean, what are the, the practical things that you as a team sort of did to come together and to come and solve these problems? And, and what informed that? Where did, where did you get, get that insight from? Was it a coach? Was it a mentor? Was it books you read? Yeah, a, a bit of everything. I think, you know, as you say, you've, you've maybe seen a, a cycle or two. Um, I, was, I was in investment banking back in 2008, so I saw a bit of that. But, you know... Uh, Maybe didn't fully appreciate everything that was going on and um, how, how how we should come out of things there. So, 
really what, what I concentrated on was leveraging uh, the wisdom of those around us and particularly our investors. So we, we've got a very strong investor base um, who are uh, very experienced, um, not only in venture capital investing, whether, you know, how we, we sort of know them, but um, a lot of the, the partners in these VC firms themselves have run very successful ventures over years. So really what we did was go to them try and extract as much knowledge and wisdom as they could give us and, and take out of it. And, and that, that for me is always key. You know, someone who's lived through something and practically experienced something is far better than anyone who's just theoretically jotting down something. And this is, these are the five action points you need to take to, to get through or be successful. If someone's actually lived through it, you can, you can take that knowledge. Um, chances are it's, it's, it's going to hold up in, in this yeah. time. So that, that, that was necessary for us. And then obviously I, th I think we just came, became, and I'm sure like everyone inundated with literature of this, that, and this is, and it's almost sort of turned a lot of that off and just focused on a few key um, publications or, um, you know, uh, groups that I felt are, are really strong and know what they're talking about and really just listen to what they're saying and try try and move the other noise away that uh, doesn't really impact your thinking. For sure. I think pain is quite a real reminder of what to do if you've experienced it. Right. Yeah. Anything, right? <laughs> it really helps that experience, right? Especially if it's someone else's pain and then you can, can learn from it. That's the ultimate. So kudos yeah. to you for that. Yeah. Um, so, so, I mean, so you went through this pain, you, you made these changes, um, as many of us did to get to this point. And, and what are you seeing now? So obviously you're seeing certain industries that are still struggling. And you mentioned the events industry, tourism, we, we are aware of. What, what are you seeing as a growth? Are, and are you back to where you were? Are you above where you were? What's the sort of, we spoke to the guys at SnapScan last week and they were saying they lost about 30% of their customer base merchants, about 60,000, but they've actually brought on that and more, you know, in the last couple of months. So they've seen a, a massive you know, increase in sort of uh, innovation and new businesses sprouting up. Are you seeing the same sort of thing? Yeah. So, I mean, if, if you look at the economy and where the SME economy is at this point in time, I don't think it's it's better than it was pre-COVID by, by any stretch of the imagination. I think that's got a, yeah. a long time to work itself out. Um, yeah. I think maybe alternative lenders and, and guys like ourselves are have been placed a bit more in the spotlight. So we've been able to leverage that sort of activity. So uh, almost selfishly, you know, we, we had big growth ambitions before uh, COVID and we've got gone back on. We, we're, we're well ahead of where we were uh, pre-COVID um, and that of, of how we're going to go. And we, we're thankful that we can see that. But in terms of the SME economy itself, you know, there's, there's still a long way for them to go. And, and I, I suppose... SMEs are just looking for solutions now. The banks don't seem to be um, assisting them as they should be. Um, you know, that, that whole guarantee loan scheme hasn't been successful and uh, hasn't really impacted the, the 100 million rand turnover and below type SMEs. Um, they haven't really seen, seen much access to those sorts of funds. So um, there, there, is, there has been more opportunity for us to be able to fund into, into the segments of the markets. Um, and yeah, obviously from our side, we, we, we want to grow and, and really assist as many SMEs as possible to, to help them either just get through this period or ultimately take, take advantage of the, 
the, the landscape that lies before them. What, what do you think you're doing right to be at these organizations? And, and you know, what, what's the sort of big challenge that they're, you're helping them to overcome? Because obviously lending money is one thing, but you know, generally SMEs have got sort of major three, which is knowledge, connecting, and funding. I mean, does it, does, are you finding that you're moving outside of just the funding arena and helping on the other areas? So that's, that's a big uh, product development strategy for us. So lending has obviously been core to our business and how we, we think about that. And, uh, you know, it will continue to be core to our business. You know, we want, we, we're a credit-led organization and that's, that's how we'll, we'll continue. But um, developing the necessary products and tools to help SMEs, we we looking at ways that, yeah, we can continue to leverage AI machine learning to assist with a business owner really understanding their, their company. Um, as I spoke about a bit earlier, you know, not every business owner has an accountant or a finance team that can help with projections and how they should think about spending and where they should be spending. So if, if we can leverage um, AI technology to be able to really give clearer insight for a business owner to make better business decisions, understand their company a whole lot better, that's, you know, that's ultimately, um, you know, we're going to see more success out of businesses and that's, that's going to mean uh, a whole lot more success for ourselves. So that's a big focus area for us. Um, and, and we have some exciting product developments going live uh, in Q2 of this year that, that really talks to that. And have you been testing that? I mean, do you have any case studies of success where you're seeing common themes coming out where businesses should be looking at or business people? Yeah, so I mean, we we very close to our customers and and sort of test groups and understanding you know how they think about things and understanding at the same time that every industry is different because we we fund we industry agnostic. So whether you are a events company, a construction business, a restaurant, whatever the case may be, is you have your own um, thoughts around your business and how that should be managed. So we spend a lot of time with customers understanding that dynamic in terms of what speaks to them and what they need to understand. Um, what we've really found out is things like really budgeting, um, understanding customer acquisition and marketing and spend and, and how that should look and how much they should allocate and, and where they should be allocating that sort of spend. We find those are pretty much across all industries um, an important topic that continues to come up. So that's really a focus for us uh, in terms of what we're looking to solve. Yeah, and I mean, I, I was wondering how is so that how have you grown from a, 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 a you know a, a standing start to grow this business? How, how much has marketing assisted you in in doing that? And sort of what are the you know what are the sort of challenges and the the successes you had in growing this business from a marketing perspective? Yes, being an online company, we've really relied on digital marketing um, more than anything else to to grow our direct business. Um, and across all channels, whether it's uh, your AdWords, your social, uh, whatever the case may be, is um, email campaigns, uh, anything digital that that we get a touch point with uh, with the SME owner that's that's important for us. Um, and and we'll, they'll continue to be an area of focus for us. But um, you know, through that, you, you'll only typically see linear growth. So we know you know what we're capable of achieving, continuing pushing through those channels. Um, where we've really seen our step-up growth is through partnerships, uh, where we approach, um, if I can give an example, like uh, Take-A-Lot. So Take-A-Lot have a marketplace where SMEs can sell products through the marketplace. 
and where Take-A-Lot's uh, funder of choice to, the, to that marketplace. And when, when you bring on a partner like that, um, and more recently, uh, a, a year ago, just over a year ago, um, we, we brought on the likes of Vodacom with a, with a similar type strategy. That's Vodalend. Exactly, Vodalend. So, so that's you. That's you. That, that's us and Vodacom working together. Um, you're yeah, really exciting partnership. You know, okay. as soon as you've got a partner who's who's really interested in assisting the SMEs in their base and working together with a technology company to make that happen, uh, you can see re- re- really nice step up growth coming out of those sorts of things. So it's amazing. Yeah, at Africa Tech Week last year, we we saw that organisations typically that take on these big partners, these you know um, IT companies, these banks, financial services companies with big reach is that have about an 85% success rate because of the scale going to that amount of customers. It really is a game changer in yeah. terms of their success where it's, um, it's, it's massive. So it's interesting to see that. Yeah, exactly we, the case. Yeah. We thought they were a competitor. We thought someone was eating some of your pie, but uh, they're, they're a partner. We, we're working hand in hand. So it's, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's going well. And, and what are your secrets? Because we see that there's that exponential opportunity to leverage from partnerships, collaborations, those sorts of things. And we see this really important. I mean, did that take you picking up the phone yourself? How, what's your strategy for going around and building these sorts of partnerships? Do you find it easy? Um, well, when we initially launched, we went through a partnership because we thought, all right, we, we don't want to just go to all SMEs out there and say, if you're looking for funding, come to us because, you know, we didn't know what to expect. We were untested, untried, uh, didn't know exactly what would come our way, um, you know, between fraud or just being able to correctly underwrite any business. Um, we had to protect ourselves. So in beta, when, when we launched, uh, it was with an online payment gateway. You had access to merchants, uh, provided us with some access to data that we could model those merchants. And um, it was really a slow introduction just to understanding the SME market a bit better and uh, funding their base. And, we, and through this whole partnership and launching, we knew this was going to be, you know, having partnerships was going to be an important part to, to the story. But ultimately, it takes a lot of resource to manage a partnership successfully. Um, and so we thought, all right, let's focus on the direct business. Let's grow Lula Lend. We've got some good learnings out of our partnership, but we're going direct to market now. Uh, let's, let's grow that up, continue to scale. And when we have sufficient resources, sufficient capital, then we make the necessary investment into um, into partnership development. And that that really happened uh, about two and a half years ago. We raised a, a Series A equity funding round that gave us the ability then to concentrate on partnerships and make sure that we can work together with a partner to give a partnership every chance of success. But we yeah we've realised through this journey you can't go into a partnership acquisition strategy if you're going to do it half-hearted. You have to have the necessary resource. And that's both both on an operational level as well as a, a technical level to be able to commit to, to making it successful. So, so far, so good. Um, but at the same time, I think in South Africa's economy and, uh, uh, and where our tech development's at, particularly with the bigger corporates, uh, there, there are only so many opportunities at this point in time until they really get more, become more tech focused. So uh, that's that's great. Um, I'm sort of thinking about here the raising of the capital, the seed A, and I want to talk about your last business that you sold to Naspers. 
Um, and most entrepreneurs, that's their thing, to buy, you know, to build a business, to sell it uh, and retire happily with the money. That's not what you've done. You've sort of gone on and started a new company. And, and, and so some of the things is, is what were the challenges do you find with your experience in investment banking to help you to raise this capital? Um, and are there any sort of uh, ideas or case studies that you think other entrepreneurs should be following, like rules for success in raising capital? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I've, I've learned a lot more on this Lula Land journey than my, my prior company because uh, I skipped a number of steps there. So, um, and, and, and that goes to show a lot is just about timing, just being at the, at the right place at the right time. So, um, I was in investment banking. Uh, my brother and his business partner had started up Groupon South Africa, seen massive success and growth, probably, you know, at that point in time, the biggest uh, online retail uh, success story that South Africa had seen. And I thought, you know, what am I doing in investment banking here? I should, I should get into this digital economy. It's clearly, uh, clearly where, where things are at. But got into it in complete naivety of not really knowing what I was doing. Uh, being an investment banker is very different to, to running a business. In fact, investment banking prepares you very little for, for running a business other than uh, understanding a, a, a cash flow forecast and uh, developing one. So does anyway, anything... But, does, does anything prepare you for running a business? Yeah, probably not. You, you'll, uh, you might know better than me, but uh, investment banking definitely doesn't. Uh, uh, I think that's. Uh, it, I think if you if you're more in a business development, product development uh, space, you, you're probably learn, learning a whole lot more lessons along the way. Um, yeah. I, I, I was very strong, you know, uh, being able to analyze the business and probably and seeing strengths and weaknesses. But those were for yeah. more. Know, develop companies that have been around for ages. It's not uh, starting something from from ground zero with, with nothing uh, going on. So um, I jumped into starting my own e-commerce business, uh, supported by my brother and his business partner who, who were running Groupon at the time. So was able to leverage a, a lot from them. But ultimately, I was a, a solo founder, which is something I wouldn't recommend, and which is uh, I was going to ask you, yeah, because the second time you were a co-founder, so it's almost like share the burden. Uh, exactly yeah have a sound not, it's like night watch it's like night watch you know one exactly. gets two hours sleep at least <laughs> <laughs> and there's someone you can talk to about you know the going-ons and, and what where the, the pitfalls are and just bounce ideas and what was super important when i didn't realize at the time starting an e-commerce company but if you want to start a technology company like make sure you have a tech founder i'm not a techie myself so um unless you're a techie and and strong on the commercial side rather you know, blend, blend two people together to, to have those skills. But uh, anyway, started up the e-commerce business, was, was very fortunate that uh, it gained traction uh, early on. Um, and I sort of skipped all the venture funding rounds. It went from uh, seed investment from, from my brother and his business partner to exit scenario two and a half, uh, three years later to, to Nuspass. Um, so didn't, didn't learn a lot of the lessons uh, along the way that I have this time in terms of what it actually means to do these, these uh, capital raises and having your, your seed rounds and your series A's and, and all those sorts of things. Um, but it was still a, a good lesson. And I think it gave me a good perspective in terms of when I, when I got into the, this business of actually how do, I want to, how do I want to create this company? Who do I want as supporters and, as, and investors? Because when, when I sold off to Nasdaq, I realized 
when you when you hand over to a corporate, you know, the the and I have to spend another year with the group at that point in time. But once you've handed yeah. over the reins to the business to to a bigger organization like that, you know, it's yeah. it's it's not your company anymore. You you're not the founder. Yeah. You're not making. You don't have these sort of yeah. uh, weight to make decisions. It's all of a sudden there's a hierarchy that you back into, which doesn't sort of promote the necessary yeah. tools for an early stage company to be successful. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of questions about that because often it's like, what's your perspective going into a corporate? But actually, you know, what what could they do better to incorporate you? Because you've gone on to do other things, and so actually they acquired something there. And I doubt that it was just. I was going to say, what was their incentive for buying the business? Was it to acquire your skills, your market, or because they closed essentially the business down like a year and a half later? So, you know, how do they integrate you? Do you think, how, how could, how can corporates, because we're seeing it now, Yuppie Chef, you know, Andrew just got acquired by Mr. Price. So, you know, they, they've taken that opportunity on. I'm sure you've got your people, you know, whining and dining you at the moment. Um, but so, so how can the corporates try and entice these entrepreneurs and founders in a better way? So it's not maybe alienating them and making them feel so strange. Yeah, really good question. I think a lot depends on where the business is at at that point in time. So if I think back to Five Ounces, my e-commerce company, so the, the, the reason for the purchase was at that point in time, Naspas owned Kalahari, uh, not uh, take a lot, but they owned Kalahari, and they were looking to acquire businesses for verticals that they uh, weren't in. So so my e-commerce company was focused on the, the wine and beer and gourmet foods and that, that segments of the markets. And they didn't have that, um, they didn't have that vertical covered. And they acquired us together with, you know, an online fashion retailer, uh, furniture retailer, that sort of thing. Um, with us, I think completely thinking it through and how it was all going to work together. So really the thinking was that this was going to bolt on to, to Kalahari and they were going to um, have it within the, the, the ultimate ecosystem there. But um, the execution of getting that right on their side wasn't right. But if, if also if I look back at the business, where we were as a company, it also probably wasn't the right time to be able to, to sell off into a big organization. At the same time, I'm saying at the same time a lot, but at, at the same time, I also didn't realize, you know, where South, Africa, South Africa's venture capital market was, what people were investing into, what, um, what made sense. And really, Nuspass were the only real opportunity to give me what I believe were the tools that I needed to scale up a business. You know, they had the balance sheet that they were able to put yeah. in a, a large amount of capital to scale it. But uh, ultimately it wasn't successful. They had a lot going on um, and, and trying to incorporate these businesses uh, ultimately didn't make sense for them. Um, if I look at the acquisition, you know, Mr. Price, Yappy Shev, I think Yappy Shev have gone through a pretty long journey already. They're, they're an established yeah. business. They've They've yeah. done really well in the online space and, and pivoted um, and segment. Um, yeah, and, and then the offline stores and, and where they're at there. So for Mr. Prices, I think that, you know it's a nice opportunity for them to get into that space. Um, you know, also high LSM type uh, customers. Uh, and and the 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 way I see it, I could be wrong, but the Yabi Chef business, I think, has gone through that um, that those sort of crazy days of trying to figure out who you are, where you are, and, and where you're going. That they're a lot more established, so make makes sense for them to be acquired at that point in their journey. For sure, and I suppose the other thing I was going to ask is that I know that you are up against it as most entrepreneurs and startups, and so sort of like 
on baked beans and toast or whatever it was and your your girlfriend at the time was sort of supporting you and you know sponsoring you clothes so you know it, it gives all those those feelings of like right I'm, you know it's tough and i can throw in the towel any second is this really worth it maybe i should go back to being an investment banker so how did you go from that those sort of feelings and then go for a good deal uh, um how hard was that and, and what did you learn about yourself from that or that experience because there's many entrepreneurs in the same boat right you've got to fake yeah. it till you make it sort of yeah it's uh <laughs> gosh when I, when I think back to those days i mean one of the biggest things keeping me going in the early days was just pride it was like uh i'm not going i mean i'm six months into this i've uh i'm already towards the end of my personal cash flow runway i don't see when I'm actually going to be making money out of this thing. Uh, it seems to be, traction is there, so you sort of uh, take hold of that. But um, for me, I, I don't think I could ever, you know, I couldn't just give up without giving it my all. Um, and I, did, I definitely don't, didn't want to walk back into investment banking with my tail between my legs and saying, you know, it didn't happen for me. So for me, it was sort of uh, do or die, make it happen. Um, and then, yeah, you, you're 100% right. When it came to sort of acquisition talk time, I mean, it's uh, when, when you've, you've been in that sort of boat for, for a long period of time and um, you know that there's not a lot of options available to you, um, and, and, but you don't want to smell of desperation and you've got to try to <laughs> still uh, talk the game. It's, uh, it's, it's sort of a, it's an ugly place to be. I mean, that's where the word, I, I feel the word hustling like really comes to the fore mm. and I wouldn't call myself a hustler by any stretch of the imagination, but knowing that that's necessary to be, um, to, or to have some level of success in, in this, in the space. Uh, so, so how do you put yourself together? Was it, was it reading books or was it speaking to people to get a different perspective or was it just trying to place your mind in a place of success and go into those meetings with, with a positive mindset? Sort of what was, what was going through yeah, I think, yeah, but all of that, I think, yeah, again, leveraging the, the wisdom of people that have been there and done that. Um, um, it was difficult in that being, again, being a solo founder does make that sort of journey even, even that more harder. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, leveraging what you can, having the conversations you can, um, Reading the, reading the literature that you can that's, that talks to you and your business. Um, I think at that time I was reading a book by Tony Shea, um, Delivering yeah. Happiness. Um, good book. Yeah, really good Great book. book. And I mean, he made all that money selling to, to Microsoft, but then he got into Zappos and, uh, you know, eating all his cash. And, uh, you know, he managed to pull through and, and was pretty successful out of that. So sort of realizing that it's part of the course you're going to go through this journey but um ultimately it's it's a timing thing and if you're there at the right time uh opportunities present themselves and, and you can take advantage of them sure and, and what about the sibling rivalry did, you know how did that play into things do you have other brothers and sisters or was it just your older brother yeah. that was sort of like was it was that part of it, the family dynamics um they're like principles in our family. We've got a, we've got a, a saying called it can be done and we can do it. And so like you get that sense that you can't back down, right? So like a family belief system. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, really good point. Um, so, so Wayne, my, my older brother, so he's five years older. So I always look at it as, you know, I've got five years, he's got five years on me. So I always have this five years to, to catch up, uh, which, which, which sort of lessens the, the pressure. But, um, and, and then we've got a, a sister between us uh, and, and a, a lot Lamaki younger brother who's, who's uh, pretty, pretty new into the working world. But um, no, Three I mean, boys, one girl. Yeah, that's, that's right. Same as us. Um, same as us. Oh, okay. Same, same dynamic. Um, so, yeah, I feel sorry for the, the poor sister, but, um, but we yeah, all do. But what can we do? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, Wayne, I mean, if I think back when, when we were far younger, Wayne and I were very, very competitive um, when it came to sports and, and, and that sort of thing. But um, I think our relationship really matured and he, he was sort of uh, a really strong just just personal who could provide support and uh it became less about you know his his success ultimately was was my success as well because he was an investor into the business uh same with lula land he was one of our very very early stage investors um so so yeah it became a relationship of, it's not competition it's support like what, what can he do to make sure that uh it gives gives me and the business every chance of success just shows it there can be a thing of healthy sibling rivalry that's important, right? Yeah. And and so in your parents, what role do they play in this? Do you feel like in your 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 upbringing, your your spirit to not give in? Yeah, I suppose uh, my mom and dad uh, praying day in day out. I think that's <laughs> I can't I can't discount. Um, just, uh, I suppose my, my parents are entrepreneurs to a certain extent. They were both pharmacists, but ran their own uh, pharmacies and, and were, were very hard workers and very successful. But, but I think it's, uh, it showed us what it takes to, to make something successful and to, to put and dedicate your time and energy into, into making sure that it's a success. So leveraged a lot of that, um, that thinking and, and what they had, had built and, um, which I suppose was another reason why, you know, go, getting into the entrepreneur space just, just made a whole lot of sense. It's, you know, it's our wider family. We've got cousins, uncles, granddads. They've, they've all sort of run their own things. So um, it, it was, it's always a road that I, I feel our family is, is destined to go down. For sure. And, I mean, what's the future for Lululand? Is it, is it growing in South Africa with these other suites of products? Is it growing to the rest of Africa? Is it... Leveraging this opportunity and going overseas. I mean, what what are you seeing as a sort of vision for the business moving forward? Yeah, I think um, we, we've always been battling with that. You know, when's the right time to to look into other markets? Um, we've taken the decision over the next uh, 18, 24 months to have a very much a South African focus, and um, as I mentioned, around the products that we're looking to develop for for SME. So instead of going you know, uh, wider across the global um, um, transfer of, of IP and technology and, and, and what, how we look to, to leverage that. It's more a focus of how, how do we go deeper in, in South Africa and making sure that we um, assist SMEs as much as possible here and, and leverage what we've, what we've already built. So, uh, yeah, we, we sort of, I look to, to Mark Zuckerberg's um, he made a comment a while back where he said, you know, you're always 1% in. And that's, I think, how we think about, about the business. You know, it's always, we talk about the vision and where we're going and what we want to achieve. But ultimately, you know, we're always in 1% into to, to building what we want to do. And 
there's so many opportunities and new uh, problems present themselves mm -hmm. that, that we want to take advantage of. I mean, if we had to think that possibility of, you know, an offer of a lifetime came along and you sort of exited the business and you had to start up again, hypothetically, what would be the principles for like a young entrepreneur or someone who's looking to set up a business in South Africa? What, what, what advice or what principles would you encourage them to be looking at? Yeah, good question. Um, I think I, I learned a lot through that first journey, making just so many mistakes. And then, and, and when I exited to Nusbass and then I spent a year with them, but then I, then I had a, a little bit of time to really think through what I, what I wanted to do. So I think it's important to take the time to really reflect and understand, you know, what you want to do. So for me, um, the decision at that point in time was I, don't, I didn't want to just build another business for the sake of it uh, and, and try and make money. It was, you know, how do you actually make a real impact? And, and that's what got me on to SME funding and understanding the pains I'd gone through and heard many stories of other SMEs who have felt similar things. So I wanted to solve a, a problem that that made that makes a real impact. And that's that's important to me. It's, you know, it's profit with a purpose. It's not just pure commercial profits. That's that's not what we, we're chasing. There needs to be a purpose to it. So, yeah, first and foremost, just really understanding where you want to be uh, or what you want to build. Um, definitely understanding like the, the technology element to that. I think that's hugely important and overlooked. Um, for any young entrepreneur, I'd say if you're not a techie yourself or you you know do do the necessary courses, but if if, if you're not able to do that, um, partner or find someone, become best friends with a technology guy because the where they're the hanging out. The future, yeah, I don't know where they're hanging out. <laughs> I, I was very fortunate to meet my uh, my current co-founder actually through my brother. So, um, is, is that how but, you met? You you met through your, your so how did that work? How did that dynamic work? Yeah, so it was it was just uh, pure serendipity in the fact that uh, he so him and my brother were friends. Uh, so Neil Neil's his name. Neil uh, was working in investment banking, but on the, the the technology side for 15 years in the UK. He had just come back to South Africa and was um, looking for an opportunity. Um, he knew quite a bit about the credit space as well. And it was exactly the same time that I was looking to, um, you know, I basically just architected the, the high level thinking around what, what Lululand could be and uh, was sort of setting out on my journey to find the CTO. And my brother just said, look, chat to Neil. He's he just got into the country, see, see what he thinks. And, uh, after one meeting with Neil, very fortunate that he had completely bought in and, and we got going with it the next day, basically. Uh, that I realized that doesn't happen for everyone, but um, yeah. just having coffees and meetings with, with as many technologists as you can and, uh, and, and seeing, you know, what they want to do and what the, where their thinking is. And uh, if you can find the right guy that's willing to uh, work for sweat equity for for a while while you get things going, then then you know you're onto a winner. So, yeah, how important is that? In, and how important is that international experience? Because it seems that the guys who have one of the partners who's got some sort of international exposure adds a lot of value because it's it's almost like looking at this situation in a different light. It's it's finding new opportunities from sometimes we've got a, a fixed way of looking at it. Yeah, spot on. I think, you know, especially someone who's, who's in a more or has worked in a more developed economy, 
uh, versus an emerging market uh, country like South Africa, where, you know, we feel that, you know, we're quite restrained in terms of what's available to us to to execute. And if you've got someone who's who's had the, the who's got the skills, the experience, who understands the landscape in a more developed market, um, and is, is working with the latest technologies there, um, then then all of a sudden it opens up your world and you're thinking to you know why can't we be doing what's what's going on there? What what is holding us back? And um, a lot of the time, it's it's more in our heads, I, I believe, than than what's really uh, physically holding us back. Yeah, interesting. And I mean, I, I know that you, you know, we spoke about how painless your program is, the, the three minute filling in the form, and it really is. But also understand it wasn't as easy as what you thought to to get that right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, what were the, the sort of challenges that you went through with that? And how did you overcome that? Because I think there's a lot of people who have got an, an idea, they might have tested it, they, they see there's value in it, they, you know, there were customers who want to come on board. But actually executing against the strategy is not always the easiest thing. And it often takes longer than, you know, what we think. Yeah, exactly. I think it's uh, a large part was just distilling what is really necessary and what's not. And, and you find this across everything. Every time anyone pulls out an application for anything, uh, no matter what it is out there, you generally being asked far more than is ever going to be used. Um, yeah. for whatever purpose it's being used for. So we yeah. just continuously revisited that, you know, is, is someone filling out this field necessary? What is that adding to our lives? Um, how yeah. is that impacting theirs? Uh, as soon as, you know, the more friction you create, the more chance of drop-off, you know, drop-off, drop-offs don't convert. So um, that, that was our thinking. And, and we had to revisit it, you know, day in, day out. And we still continue. I mean, we're doing massive UX work now to, to take it to, to the next level because it, it doesn't stop either. It has to continually develop. So um, that's the thing. You, you just, it can't just be done and left there. It's got to be continually worked on and, and thought through. Otherwise, you, you end up with you know, going in a direction that you didn't intend. So, so we obviously got funding from you. And I often wondered, like, what were you looking for? Why did you give us the money? Um, and what can businesses who are looking to get funding, not necessarily because they need it right now, but because, you know, you've got that safety net, what are the things that they should be doing or what are you seeing the, the businesses who are lendable or, you know, running their businesses better? What are you seeing the attributes that, that you're looking for within those businesses? Yeah, I mean, we look at, you know, thousands of thousands of data points uh, to, to ultimately drive a score. But, you know, if you have to just distill it, it's, um, you know, as a business owner in your personal capacity, not being over-indebted or uh, in massive arrears on home loans or motor vehicles or have 10 credit cards that are maxed out sort of thing. Uh, you know, from a personal standpoint, that's, that's how a business owner needs to think. Um, don't be incredibly reckless there. And on your, on, in your business, just, you know, just simple things of making sure you've got enough cash for debit orders to go through and that sort of thing. These, these are all just factors that as soon as, you know, you see debit orders bouncing or, um, or, or, or uh, companies uh, going over their overdraft balances or um, if they don't have an overdraft going into negative balance, that sort of thing. Those are just sort of simple things that, that 
you know, you can communicate and say, look, watch out for that. Just avoid yeah. that. As soon as, I mean, those are very simple things. You just avoid that, uh, stay in the green or the black, so to speak. Uh, and uh, it really increases your chances of, of funding. Um, and, and the other thing is, I suppose it's a little harder for, for business to control, but um, as soon as there, there is cash flow activity and uh, what I say, cash flow activity, cash flow coming in and, you know, there is clearly customers uh, to your business, you know, that, that then opens the door up massively for, for business to be able to, to access funding. If, if, the, if we're only seeing one cash inflow every few months, you know, that's, that's going to limit their, their opportunity to be able to access funding. So, yeah, keep it clean and, um, yeah, definitely get, get customers paying into a bank account versus cash transactions. Th that financial literacy, I mean, are you seeing that education in financial, you know, best practice? Is that a challenge in South Africa, do you think? Is that an opportunity to help organizations and people? Because, I mean, if I go to the States or whatever, you see a lot of homeless people. It's not because they don't have money or they don't have jobs. They do. It's because they've defaulted on not paying their rent on time and they've got a bad credit rating and then they can't actually lease the building. And so they're very, I would say, brutal. Like, I think we're quite lenient from, uh, from, uh, from that perspective in South Africa generally. We're, we're quite relaxed about our financial obligations. Are you seeing that or are you seeing a change? Um, I'm seeing a lot of work that still needs to be done. Um, so in America, they got the FICO score and everything revolves around, you know, where your FICO score is. And uh, in South Africa, that's, that's not a big thing. It's, um, you know, what is your, your personal credit score or what is your, your company's credit score? Um, I, can, I can tell you in, in America, most adults would be able to tell you what their score is here. People have a clue. Have a clue. Yeah. And, and that's, I think that's maybe a starting point. Um, yeah, I think obviously we, we, we've got a massive informal economy that the, the financial literacy is, is um, not there. But the way we think about it is, you know, how do you solve these sorts of things at scale? Um, you can't individually tutor everyone into um, to improving their financial literacy. There, there has to be other ways and means to do that. And that. That also talks to, you know, the products we're thinking about, you know, how are we at scale able to really um, empower a business owner and make him say, oh, okay, this is how I need to think about things and understand things because, because it is difficult. And some, some things a lot of people can just, you know, they, they take for granted and assume you know, everyone knows that, but it's, it's definitely not the case. Um, so, yeah, in short, so because there's a massive opportunity there, but how to solve for on a scalable level, I think, is the, is the challenge. So, so, so I read about one of your organizations that you sort of supported, I think it was a, the coffee guy or the coffee shop and it was one man band and you lent him 20,000 Rand and, and now you're lending him like a million Rand a year sort of thing. I don't know if it's more or less. Like what, what do you draw from someone like that as examples of, of what he's done and how you can help other organizations or, or what other organizations in South Africa can do to also scale their business in that sort of way? Are there principles that you're seeing that people need to implement or that, that you saw a common, are you seeing common principles being adopted? Um, I think what, what we've seen and, and particularly really big success stories like that, it's where there's clearly a market opportunity. Uh, someone has set up the foundations to their business correctly. Uh, they know how to think about things um, and, and they're not just taking on funding for the sake of it. They, there's a real, real genuine purpose of I'm taking on this funding and this is what I'm going to invest into and this is how it's going to affect my business. And, 
And all the success stories we've seen have, have been, you know, that it's not just guys who think, you know, it would be nice to have a bit of the cash in the bank. It's more, look, if I take out 100,000 Rand, that means I'm going to be investing X amount into stock. I'll be able to potentially get a 10% discount on that stock. I'll be able to sell it for, uh, you know, 50, 100% margin, whatever the case may be is. Uh, and then I'm going to be able to reinvest that. And, and that's the sort of thinking that, that business owners need to um, think through. You know, how is this really going to add, add proper value to my business? And, and, and those are the biggest success stories, the guys who have uh, you know, ultimately thought it through properly, invested in the right areas in their business. So, again, understanding their business and knowing where that investment is necessary. Stock is one example, but, you know, um, someone who's looking to move offline operation online, it's investment into uh, e-commerce and, and uh, really having taken the time to understand are my customers there if I invest 100,000 Rand into websites and development, what's that going to yield? How many customers yeah. should I be seeing through that? You know, that, that's how business owner needs to be thinking about um, accessing capital. You know, capital is, you know, it's, it's serving the purpose in that it's uh, once it's available, you can make uh, investments that you wouldn't have had the opportunity to beforehand. But it can also be very wasteful if you haven't thought it through in terms of what, what value this is actually going to add to my company. We've sort of, certainly seen that we've taken on loans before and sort of, I don't know, in, in many ways spent the money because it's there as opposed to being disciplined and you need that disciplined approach. So we were very determined we would only loan money if we had a disciplined approach to it. Um, so, I mean, we also saw that a lot of people are using it for, you know, moving capital, you know, but the second reason people are looking to borrow money is for marketing. And so how important is that to grow their business and to increase the sales and marketing? Is, is, that a, is, is that an attractive thing for you when someone's looking to grow and, and, and do you and see that's a good investment? Yeah, again, I think if, if it's done smartly and, and thought through, marketing yeah. is, is definitely one of those channels where you can put capital towards it and it's out the door and... Um, You've the new fan, very little return. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so again, much like you know the the, the stock scenario, s- same thing with marketing. If you if you have a very clear understanding of the channel that you're investing into, whether it is you know a digital acquisition channel, uh, or are you trying to drive a, a PR campaign and, and and drive more brand awareness or that sort of thing? Again, yeah. understanding that I think um, you know marketing is a it's, a, it's such a tricky beast and, and that's yeah. something that I've, I've, I've always grappled with and will continue to even with, you know, an incredible marketing team that I have uh, um, yeah. in Lululemon at this point in time. It's, and, and these channels don't stop. You know, one month you might yeah. be very successful through an AdWords uh, campaign and <laughs> another month it, it, it just dies. So you, you never really know exactly what performance is going to be like. So going all in into, into one um, marketing channel, that sort of, Thing, I would never recommend it's you know how do you how do you make sure this is where my customers are I know I'm spending in the right channels and and measuring that that customer acquisition cost ultimately because uh, you've got to understand the quality of customer you're bringing in and what sort of price you're paying for it yeah, I mean it's being disrupted all the time I think is the point and people are being competitive like the competitive landscapes changing all the time as well so if you're having success your competitor probably knows it so on. It's one of those yeah. things, right? And, yeah. and so what do you, I mean, for, for a final sort of wrap-up question, I mean, we, we, we do Africa Tech Week and we, what we're seeing is that there's a big sort of interest in doing business in Africa. And you can see that with Mr. Price sort of, you know, um, 
every ship. What are you seeing as a future for Africa in terms of technology and um, your business? Yeah, I mean, there's there's massive opportunity uh, in, in Africa. I would say certain markets within Africa. I don't think uh, every country is open to the same opportunities. I think we're very fortunate in South Africa. Um, no. um, you know, we're still lagging the world massively, but um, yeah. there, there's, there's good development going on. So, I mean, if, if I just look at the, the fintech ecosystem locally uh, in Kenya and Nigeria, um, looking at recent acquisitions, um, Stripe's acquisition of, uh, I'm trying to think that it's not Flutterwave, the other, the other big payment gateway in Nigeria for, you know, uh, well in excess of, of $200 million. There's, you know, there's, there's real opportunities and the rest of the world are sort of, you know, more and more starting to look at Africa as the, the final frontier of, of, of where we're going to see, or they're going to see real exponential growth. So, um, I think it's good a good time to be in in South Africa in Africa if uh, in tech if you're, you're in tech um, th- there's massive opportunity it's not like the the US and other developed markets where yeah there is a big market but you know a lot of the stuff is already sold for there's there's a lot of opportunities and and solutions that can be built so um, yeah I'm I'm hugely optimistic about the continent and uh, the the sort of longer term. Um, success stories that are going to come out of it. I think we're still going to feel some pain in the short term uh, as we yeah. exit this pandemic, but uh, ultimately there's there's real positivity uh, on the longer term mindset. And how are you enjoying Cape Town? And, and love, loving Cape Town. So, um, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> Is this an ideal place to have a startup in Africa or what? I, I, w- I would definitely say so. I mean, it's... Uh, I suppose I've only lived in, I've spent most of my life in Joburg, uh, a year or two in London and, and Cape Town, but I can tell you nothing. Don't share this with your friends in Joburg then. I've, I've, I wish they would come down. They, um, I don't know why they're hesitant. This is, this is the place to be technology wise. You know, this, there's, there's a lot of, a uh, lot more talent density down here, um, which, which is obviously hugely important for, for any tech business. Um, but also in this day and age with, with, so much remote possibilities. Uh, why would you want to work anywhere else? So I've seen, um, you know, founders from companies in Europe, a um, yeah. couple uh, other areas of Africa, all basically setting up office, not office, just uh, working from Cape Town, uh, from an apartment or whatever the case may be is, because why wouldn't you? This is uh, the place to be. Agree. It was great doing this podcast with you. Thanks so much, Trevor. Good luck for everything. Um, we appreciate your lady who phones us once a month and asks if we want more money. So um, we love Do it. Do her a favor. Do her a favor and uh, <laughs> again, just think it through. Take it up. Uh, thanks so much. It was great speaking to you. Best of luck. Mm-hmm.